story is told of a man who was, whose home was on the border separating the North and the South during the Civil War. Not wanting to have to take a stand, not wanting to make a decision of which side he's going to support, he wore a Confederate Army jacket and Union Army pants. Of course, it didn't go so well for him because the Union Army soldiers shot at his jacket and the Confederate Army soldiers shot at his pants. But there comes a time when a decision must be made. Forty-six years after the Civil War ended, a young man was born in Illinois. When he was a young teen, his aunt took him to a cobbler that he might have a new pair of shoes. When he arrived at the cobbler's shop, the cobbler asked him, did you want round-toed shoes or square-toed shoes? Not sure, he said, um, I, I don't know. The cobbler said, well, make a decision. Um, come back in a couple days and tell me what you like. Well, the boy didn't come. And the cobbler found him in, uh, in town one day and said, hey, um, what, uh, what, what kind of shoes did you want me to make? Square-toed or round-toed shoes? He responded, well, I, 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 I don't know. Well, the cobbler said, well, you, you, you come by my, my shop at the first of next week and, and I'll have your shoes ready for you. Well, the following week, Ronald Reagan went to the cobbler and he took home one square-toed shoe and one round-toed shoe and learned from that point on, never allow someone else to make decisions for you. There comes a time when a decision has to be made. I don't remember the circumstances um, but I remember the charge very vividly laid at my teenage feet. You're fickle. As fickle as a weather vane, so the saying goes. Changeable. Indecisive. I vowed from that point forward, I am going to learn how to make decisions, the best decisions I can make with the information I have. For there comes a time when you have to make a decision. In our study through the fourth gospel, we're in John chapter 11. We're finishing this particular chapter this week, and for the last number of weeks, we have been exploring this wonderful, amazing, mind-boggling, divinity-revealing miracle of Jesus where he heals a man who was not just dead. He was so dead, he was in the grave for four days dead. He was all dead. And in an amazing display of power and authority, Jesus called forth this 
man from the tomb and he walked out. There's, 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 there's nothing that can explain the, the awesome nature of this miracle. You remember when we concluded our study last week with verse 44, it, it ended rather abruptly. Uh, there's there, there's a, a, a pronounced lack of, of the, the, the human element that's included here. Jesus uh, simply says, unbind, unbind him and let him go. And, and, and that's where the story ends. There, there's, there's all these human interest things that we would like to have seen. We would like to have heard about the emotional reunion of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. It's not there. We would like to have heard about um, the people clapping and, and high-fiving and, and, and circling themselves around the trio. It's not there. And with purpose. The story's not about Lazarus. It's not about Martha. It's not about Mary. Oh, yes, they are, they are certainly players, significant players in the drama. But the chief actor, the, the one who is the author and the authority of all of that takes place here is Jesus. The story is about him. What we find in the Verses that we will read subsequently in the last part of this chapter is there comes a time when a decision, particularly about Jesus, has to be made. I invite you to look with me at the text. John chapter 11, beginning at verse 45. Look at the kinds of responses that we find to Jesus by the people in this text. Therefore, John begins, therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing for this man is performing many signs. If we, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together kill him. Therefore Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, 
but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the disciples, or rather, now the, the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. Point number one, a decision made for Jesus. Verse 45 tells us there were many of the Jews who came to Mary, saw what Jesus had done, believed on him, but, verse 46, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. The little word, but, the conjunctive in verse 46, in the Greek language is, the, uh, is, a, is a little particle that shows up almost 3,000 times in the Greek New Testament. That's a lot. It's a mild adversative, meaning it can be translated but, as it is here. But for every five times this little particle is translated but, it's translated and four times. Sometimes it's translated but, sometimes it's translated and. So sometimes it's a continuative, a, a, a putting together of two ideas. The translation but in verse 46 has led many people, it's, it's the popular opinion, to say there are two decisions made regarding Jesus by those who witnessed this miraculous event of Jesus raising Lazarus. Two decisions. Those that were for Jesus and those that were against Jesus. Those that love Jesus, those that hate Jesus. Those that bow in submission to him and those that reject everything about him. I am not so sure that that's the best way to interpret this. I think it's better to see that verse 45 and verse 46 talk about the same decision on the part of those who were there present witnessing the resurrection of Lazarus. Verse 45 might be more literally translated this way. Listen, while you keep your eye on, in your text. Therefore, many of, or many from the Jews, comma, those who came to Mary and saw the things which Jesus did, many of, or many from the Jews, these are the people that came to Bethany to bring comfort to Mary. 
Now, we don't know, Mary's listed specifically here, we don't know if it's because she was um, a little bit more emotionally needy, or maybe she was a little bit more better connected with the people in Jerusalem. But many of the Jews came from Jerusalem to Bethany to give comfort to Mary and were present when Jesus performed this miracle. Comma, those who came to Mary and saw these things that Jesus did, they believed. And, let's use a different word to translate that little particle, and some of them went to the Pharisees and told the Pharisees the things which Jesus had done. I think this is what happened. The miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was so knock-you-off-your-feet amazing that the people present there witnessing what took place all believed. Now when we say a person believes, that can mean a variety of different things. We're going to explore that at the end of our time together this morning by way of review for, for most all of you. Mm, all of them believed. So some of them, verse 46, some of these believing ones went to the Pharisees. They went to their religious leaders. And I think they pled with them to say, guys, I think think your attitude about Jesus and your assessment of who he is is not quite right. Let me tell you what he did. They may even have quoted one of their own, Nicodemus. Some would say that Nicodemus was the, what was the head of the Pharisees in, um, in the Jewish council, uh, which would make him like uh, the minority whip. He held a responsible position. Th- this, is, this is what Nicodemus said to Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 2. We know that no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. And I wonder if some of these people coming from Bethany, seeing Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, didn't go to the Pharisees pleading with them, take another look. We see what he has done. No one can do this kind of thing unless God is with him. We think your assessment of who Jesus is is incorrect. Look again, please. I think there is a pleading there because the people there in Bethany witnessing the work of Jesus were convinced. Jesus 
is none other than the great I am. He is God in human flesh. No one can do these things. Unless God be with him. These these regular kind of folk were convinced. They made a decision about Jesus. But what about the religious leaders? Verse 47. Therefore, on the basis of these who had come to them, now maybe, they, maybe there was a group of people that were disgruntled and, and they were ratting out Jesus. That, that, that is possible. That's certainly the majority view. I, I think the text says something different. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. The word council in the Greek text is transliterated into English, Sanhedrin. That's where we get the word. It literally means a sitting together. Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees were two completely different groups of people. The Pharisees were the conservatives. They were the scholars. They were the teachers, the synagogue leaders that were frequently among the people. I think this is why these people in verse 46 went to the Pharisees, because the people knew the Pharisees. The Sadducees, on the other hand, uh, the more liberal uh, group, uh, they were aloof. They were uh, removed from the people. They were the aristocracy. Um, They viewed themselves as being over the people. Now, the Pharisees affirmed all of the Old Testament Scripture, while the the Sadducees affirmed only the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. Um, Significant for our discussion here, the, the Pharisees acknowledged the possibility of God's intervention into the affairs of humankind, call it a miracle. The Sadducees denied that. They pushed off anything supernatural, and they certainly didn't believe in a resurrection. So they would have had some other kind of explanation for what took place in Bethany when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and he did. John MacArthur adds, quote, the Pharisees were the ultra-nationalists and chafed under the yoke of Rome. The Sadducees were compromising political opportunists willing to do whatever's necessary in order to keep their power, position, prestige, and the purse strings. So here, and honestly, I don't know how these two disparate groups of people got anything done, how they were able to reach across the aisle and accomplish anything, but they were certainly united in their, their view of, of Jesus. Verse 47, so the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council, the Sanhedrin met, and they were saying, what are we doing? They did not ask, what will we do? 
they did not ask what ought we to do they weren't looking for options they weren't looking for for a decision to what what to do in the future they simply acknowledged that there was an elephant in the room they haven't dealt with oh none of them liked jesus and there was on an individual level a uh, commitment to to see that he was somehow eliminated but they hadn't actually agreed on anything hadn't come up with a plan um, they were stymied they were stuck because they hadn't dealt with the elephant in the room they hadn't made a decision middle of verse 47 what are we doing this man is performing many signs and if we let him go on like this all men are going to believe in him and the romans will come and take away both our place and our nation now these people were were um, interested in saving their own skin preserving the status quo they were concerned about um, uh, anything that was going to stand in their way and and put a put a monkey wrench in 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 their machinery they didn't want that at all they realized that jesus was um continuing to do works like they're just hearing about raising this guy that it was in the grave for four days and as a result, whether it was true or not, many people were following him. Indeed, I think some of the people that were there from verse 46 that came and reported, this is what pushed the religious leaders to the edge. It forced their hand. They had to make a decision. What are they going to do with Jesus? second page of your notes they had to make a decision and the time is now and so appropriately verse 49 the one that stepped forward is the one that should have stepped forward verse 49 one of them Caiaphas who was high priest that year said Dot, dot, dot. Let me, let me make a couple of comments here about, uh, about Caiaphas and the um, uh, chief priest family. When Rome conquered a people, they would typically allow um, the people to self-govern themselves under Roman authority and with the okay of Rome, of course. But they were... Uh, agreeable to this as, as long as it was uh, profitable maintained um, uh, a peace in the land the Romans knew that those people whatever their court system was like knew the people and they had their own customs and their way of doing things well uh, we'll let that go on unless there's a problem Caiaphas's father-in-law, Annas, is mentioned in the New Testament. Now, 
typically, Rome would allow the, the Jewish high priest to remain in that position until he died. That wasn't the case for Annas, however. Uh, and we don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe some, some people do, but I, don't, I personally don't know that. Um, we, he, he still had a, an enormous amount of influence, and he still was alive during this time. He was high priest, Annas was high priest from A.D. 6 to A.D. Um, uh, 15. Caiaphas was high priest from A.D. 18 to A.D. 36. He was the one that was a high priest during the time of Jesus. Jesus' ministry. So Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, not meaning that he was high priest for this particular year, somebody else's the next year. What John means is, is he, was, he was the high priest for that fateful year, that memorable year, the year of Jesus' passion. This is the one who stepped up to the microphone. Now, the Sanhedrin was made up of 70 men. The high priest... Caiaphas, in this case, was the tiebreaker. He was member number 71. So he steps up to the microphone. And he says, you know nothing at all. This is not a a way to begin a speech and win your crowd. Dale Carnegie would have uh, some other suggestions for him. You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Well, let's expand what Caiaphas had to say for a moment. And let's assume for just a moment that he took Dale Carnegie's course. And he's, uh, he's here to um, win friends and, and influence his, his, his fellow countrymen serving on this prestigious, uh, august court. Gentlemen, he may have begun, having been coached by Dale himself, no doubt. Gentlemen, we have been entrusted with a noble responsibility. We have been charged with nothing less than the care and protection of God's people. We have a sacred trust. But my friends, we must be aware that there is something that has slithered under the front door and now is in the bedroom. There is a threat to our people. That must be addressed. We must grab it by the neck. We must wring out the life from it because it is threatening our nation and the good work that we have done for our people, God's people. That threat must be removed. And if it is removed... We will spare our people. 
even our own households. So I beg of you men, make a decision today to do that which is right, honorable, good, just, for the sake of our nation, for the sake of the people who have entrusted us with life. Give me your votes. Or something like that, I don't know. You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people. And that the whole nation not perish. John's commentary, the Apostle John's commentary, in verse 51 is so very helpful. He says this, Now he, speaking of Caiaphas, now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So so John informs us that although Caiaphas said this on his own initiative, he had complete authority and complete control of the vocabulary he used. These are Caiaphas's words. Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit superintended these words spoken by Caiaphas so that he would have his, his, um, his statement, his, his temporal purposes would be fulfilled. Namely, Jesus would be eliminated. But the Holy Spirit saw to it that God's eternal purposes would also be communicated through these words. That Jesus would die first for the nation. Speaking of the Jews. Now, if you recall, um, John the Baptist said, uh, first chapter, uh, when he he saw Jesus, pointed to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that's that's different than what Caiaphas said. Um, Or or rather, as as John uh, interpreted that, commented on it, Um, He he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Oh, but he continues. Verse 52. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So looking at what the Apostle John recorded of of the Baptist in chapter 1, then according to what Caiaphas said, There there is this affirmation that Jesus died for Jews, for the world, that is Jews and Gentiles. And then he goes on to say that he might gather together, he might also gather together into one, into one entity. We would use the image of the body. One body, um, uh, the... um, 
um, gathered together into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. I, I would direct your attention over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, where Jesus says this, uh, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul says this, of the work of our Lord Jesus with regard to these two groups, the nations and the many other nations, that is, the world, that is, Jews and Gentiles, verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2, for he himself, speaking of Christ, he himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity What Jesus did, what Caiaphas prophesied, what John commented on, was that Jesus was going to draw people from all nations, every tribe, every language, every tongue. He was going to bring all of them together in one body, one group, one holy nation, as Peter says in chapter 2 of his first epistle. One church bringing together a disparate group of people that are scattered apart into one. All of the children of God gathered together. So, back to our text, verse 53. From that day on, they planned together to kill Jesus. Well, there comes a time when a decision has to be made, and they made it. They decided that Jesus had to die. There was a resolution there in the chambers, and they said Jesus must die. Now, it, it, uh, it, it appears to be clear that they did not choose to go the route of an assassination. That gets messy. That gets sticky. There's always a way to, to chase the money. So they decided to seize him, arrest him, try him, and then execute him. Now, the, the trial would be a mock trial. It would, it would uh, simply have the outward appearance of justice no it was never about justice it was always about their um, pre-judgment their pre-condemnation of jesus because they knew that if he didn't leave there would be there would be uprest, there would be an uproar, there would be a fight 
for who was going to rule, who was going to be in charge. And they knew that Rome uh, would not put up with that. And they feared that if Jesus continued his work, he would have more and more power, more and more authority, more and more followers. And because of that, they would lose power. They would lose their positions. They would lose the purse strings. And the Romans would come in and they would establish their own system because the Jews can't pull it off. They can't come together and make this happen. So they decided they're going to kill Jesus. Verse 54. So Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country. We don't know where the town of Ephraim is. Uh, There are some um, that believe that it's the town of Ephraim, which is about 12 miles to the northwest, or maybe it's the northeast, of Jerusalem. Um, Within walking distance, but far enough away from the big city where all the people are, um, Jesus removed himself. Now, this was temporary because Passover was upon them. And there were people that came to Jerusalem from the country, verse 55 tells us, to purify themselves. Isn't it interesting that those that are the most pure aren't going there and aren't interested in in the sacrifices necessary in, in order to cleanse their hearts? Their minds are made up. They have made their decision, even if it's a wrong one. Verse 57, the chief priests and the Pharisees gave orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, they were to report it so that they might seize him. The bounty had been determined. And the mugshots of Jesus had been secretly distributed. Everybody was on watch. Everybody was looking for where is he? Well, the story continues into chapter 12, but we will reserve that for another Lord's Day. By way of conclusion, let me, let me bring two thoughts to your mind. Caiaphas um, thru- thrust his hearers on the horns of a dilemma. And he made a logical um, faux pas uh, in, in his address. He said, either Jesus has to die or the nation will die. It's one or the other. It's, it's the either or fallacy. There were other options. Among them, these men stepping down. But that was unacceptable to them. Not only was he, he uh, guilty of that fallacy, but, but morally he, w- he found himself guilty as well as before the scriptures um, because of his intent of killing an innocent person. But he made that, um, that declaration and that uh, either 
either-or uh, statement. You're, you're going to be with Jesus or you're not going to be with Jesus. Well, um, Jesus made that kind of same hard-line um, declaration. And he, he wasn't um, messing with any of the laws of logic by saying, you have only two choices. It's believe on Jesus or don't. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus says, he who, does not, he who is not with me is against me. There's a very firm line. Either you are with Jesus or you are against Jesus. He says virtually the same thing in the next chapter, chapter 12, verse 51. Jesus asks, do you suppose that I have come to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. From now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. There is division. There is, there is a, 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 a firm and sharp um, separation between those who believe and those who don't believe. There are many who would, who would um, beg to differ and say, oh, oh, but there, there are other, other, other responses to Jesus. Uh, one may, might be a, a rather agnostic approach, an indecisive approach, um, maybe indifference to Jesus. Well, that, we're just talking about a, a smokescreen here because indifference, indecision are simply masks of unbelief. Jesus said, you love me, you submit to me, you follow me, or not. It's one or the other. It really is that simple. Now, by way just of review, I, uh, I, I want to ask the question, wh what exactly does it mean to believe in Jesus? We'll, we'll put the cookies on the on the on the on the bottom shelf here. Um, uh, when, when we were in John chapter 3, I had uh, spelled this out a couple of different times. I've done it uh, on other occasions here. Um, but I do this again because it's, it, it's fitting here. When, when, when Paul said, or when we read of, of Paul and Silas in, in, in Philippi, the, the Philippian jailer asks Paul the question, what must I do to be saved? Great question. Important question. Vital question. In answer to that question, the German reformer, Philip Melanchthon, looked in the pages of Scripture and from the Scripture said, there are these three elements that are included in, in biblical faith. And, of course, he wrote as 
was uh, normal in that day. He wrote in Latin. And he says these are the three, three necessary components of biblical faith. Notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. Now I've translated those three Latin words into three English words, and I, uh, I, I, I crafted a, a, a um, um, what do you call those things, uh, like, like scuba, an acronym, thank you, my lovely wife, um, a, a, an acronym, CAT, and he's, here, here are the three, the three words, this is what biblical faith contains, content, affirmation, trust it deals with my mind my heart and my will in that order i i must have right content about the nature and the work of god i i have to know god is holy i am not i need a savior jesus is the only savior he is the one that and the only one that i can trust and have confidence that he's going to, to, to redeem my soul. I need that content, that intellectual knowledge. You have to have it. Secondly, information from my mind must work its way down to my heart. And I have to affirm the truth of that which I have understood in my mind. I have to affirm that that, that that truth is truly true. Somebody can be uh, very knowledgeable, um, intellectual about a, a particular religion, for example, but not affirm it to be true. It's simply um, a, a matter of, of their uh, intellectual knowledge, um, but they, they don't buy into it. All right, so here's the, here's the first two, content and affirmation. Now, by itself, those two qualify us to be just a, a demon. Demons have the right content, and they affirm that that content is truly true, but what's lacking is their trust. They don't fully buy into it. Intellectually, they might buy into it, Maybe even a, an emotional buy-in that it's, yeah, it's, it's, that's the real deal. But I'm not going there. I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to surrender my life. That's what it means to trust. So when we talk about believing Jesus, we're, 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 we're talking about having a, a certain content of knowledge. We're talking about a, a, a heart that acknowledges this is the real deal stuff. And then we're talking about my will submitting to it and saying, I know it's true. I need it. I surrender. In his commentary on the fourth gospel, Homer Kent observes this. The chief cause of unbelief is not inadequate information but a heart in rebellion against the authority of God and his word content affirmation trust I give him everything 
those that watched Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb. And seeing that man had been dead for four days walk out, shake their world, shaped their world. The religious leaders were recalcitrant, unmoved, unwilling to submit. They had the right content. And on the basis of those people that were standing before them telling them what happened, they may have even acknowledged this to be truly true, particularly the Pharisees would have. But they were unwilling to submit to that. So they planned to kill Jesus. Take him by the throat. Take him out. question for us is this. What will we do with Jesus? There comes a time when a decision has to be made. What will we do with Jesus? Will we submit? Will we surrender? Our blessed God, we thank you for giving us your word, sending the Lord Jesus. Um, having evidence um, by way of, of eyewitnesses of his power, his authority, his rulership. Father, would you find in us hearts that are broken, passionate about walking with you, knowing you, loving you, surrendering to you, worshiping you, and avoiding all that unbelievers do. Ignoring you, pushing you aside, acknowledging, politely nodding, but not surrendering. Find us to be faithful. Pray that the Holy Spirit would break through unbelief. That you might find us people of faith.